0: Welcome to DealCast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger market and and c Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham, a journalist who's been covering M&A for a decade. In this episode, we're finding out about ECM activity in Europe and what's happening with the IPO market. I'm joined by Samuel Kerr, who's the senior ECM editor for Ion Analytics and for Cristiano Dalla Dallabona, ECM reporter for Ion Analytics. Hi, Cristiano. Hi, Sam. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks for having us back. Thank you for having us.
0: So, can we begin with you telling us a bit more about where we are in terms of equity markets as we head into the summer lull? Sure.
1: So, I think it's an interesting time for equity markets, right? Because despite the you know, fairly grim uh, picture that we've had globally and macroeconomics and you know, war in Ukraine, inflation, everything else, equity markets are in a really good spot. know, uh, yeah, the s and 600's up around you know three percent over the last month. It's almost up nine percent year to date. U.S. stock markets are, are, are even better uh, because of that. You know, you, you look at block trades going on in the equity capital markets, and they're all working pretty well we've had some substantial deals before summer uh things are quieting down a little bit now but there does seem like there's a lot of appetite for stocks and actually now looking where we are at the moment we've had some quite good and softening inflation data uh in the uk in europe and, and you know particularly in the us which is you guiding people towards an idea that interest rates are either going to be plateauing soon or possibly even coming down at some point, which I think people are quite you know excited about as from an investment perspective, and that's going to even increase the appetite for stocks. So, so I think in generally the the picture before summer looks you know pretty benign, and, and we've had a few you know big deals pricing, um, but as we'll go into later, it there's there's a few issues still.
0: Yeah, and there's a big butt there, isn't there? Yes, so, very much so. there's a, a rally in terms of equities, but what about the IPO markets?
1: So the issue we've got here is it's been a really, really mixed bag uh, in, in in Europe, particularly. Uh, we started off the what we call the pre-summer window, which is the last weeks before summer. Uh, you know where you get can get deals done with four. Pretty big IPOs uh, scheduled to price. We had We Soda, which was a Turkish soda ash company uh, looking to list in London. Uh, you had uh, uh, Cab Payments, formerly Crown Agents Bank, uh, which is a emerging markets payments play. Uh, then you had Hydroelectrica, which was a uh, which is a massive Romanian uh, sell down of its uh, hydroelectric facilities there. And uh, Tissot Group Nusira, which is the uh, hydrogen carve out of uh, from from uh, the German conglomerate Tissot Now We Soda was cancelled before a price range was even set because of a massive valuation difference between the sellers and the buyers. And uh, the other three were priced, but the trading has been, been very different. Um, Nucera and Hydroelectrica are up about 15% and 9% respectively, while CAB's down about 16% from IPO price and, and it's traded down ever since. So it is a real issue at the moment. You know, you, you, you can't rely on on a pretty solid, solid picture for everything. And I think the, uh, the IPO market is very mixed.
0: So, Cristiano, coming to you, Sam outlined some of those deals that have been cancelled. Could you go into a bit more detail about those situations? He explained more about WeSoda, but what about the other ones?
2: Yes, we had um, two situations that were interesting uh, for us observers. There was the case of Intilian, um a German company that was looking to launch a deal relatively soon. Uh, but in the end, they decided to actually postpone the whole thing. What they noticed uh, from our reporting is that there was a wide mismatch between uh, the issuer expectation and the buy uh, views. And in that case, it seemed like investors had a lot of scrutiny about um, a lack of sustainable profits, but also uh, about how they would deliver their long-term ambitions and this kind of put a dent in the whole deal making process in the situation. And then in Italy, we had another company, Maggioli, this time a um, software company for the public sector. In that case, they had already launched the deal. They were in the book building process, taking orders. And at some point they decided very quickly to walk back on video and postpone the whole thing. And in that case, it was even a harsher fall to reality because you've launched a process, you think you have enough buying to do this IPO. And in the end, you don't see this translating into orders. And this means that an IPO like that is unlikely to come back maybe for more than a year when you get that serious heat on sentiment and on expectations, it's unlikely to come back soon.
0: Yeah, and I guess that the market conditions can be a huge factor. It might be the only factor in an IPO not proceeding, but it is damaging for those companies if they launch the IPO or they're nearly at the point of launching and they don't go ahead.
2: For sure. Um, Not only we are in a very volatile market still, but we had a lot of um, geopolitical developments that really have affected sentiment. And it's just a Question of the buysiders really not being there to buy into long term equity stories. They really want to see a track record. They want to see safety. So it's less about the creative and very ambitious long term plans of 2021. We were talking about that very success, successful year. Um, but it's more about safety and it's more about grounded ambitions.
0: Great. And staying with you, Cristiano, could you just outline what the private options are for those companies that don't pursue an IPO, please?
2: Yes. Um, as we have seen, like in the case of Swiss companies, uh, ABB and Galderma, they can organise uh, funding rounds that are completely private. Sometimes they have involved big industrial players. Sometimes they have involved sovereign wealth funds and that allows them to get that sort of leeway where they can still develop and deliver on their plans in the next two, three years. Um, Or if they have dual track processes open, they can decide to abandon the IPO and in that case, go for the private offers that they have received from interested parties.
0: Great. Thank you. And Sam, Coming back to you, can we look more broadly at the issue with IPOs when equity markets are so good? So I think...
1: It's a difficult question to answer this one because obviously you'll look at IPO volumes in places like United States and Asia and and, and everything's down. And, and and I think when you have everything down globally, you can wrap things into the sort of, well, it's a bad macro environment, so therefore the IPO market is bad. But there are a lot of issues with the IPO market in Europe which feel structural and have been issues, I have to say, that I've been reporting on from beginning reporting on the IPO market several years ago. Uh, and. I think the issue we're having at the moment in Europe is the product's been unloved for for quite a bit of time, um, mainly due to a lot of subpar performance of some recent deals. And if you look at say the class of 2021, which was a major bull market uh, globally, uh, we had a huge amount of IPO issuance and and. Uh, you know, alongside sort of these rising equity markets, and 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 many of these deals were real stinkers. Unfortunately, I mean, and we we all remember the names. You know, you had Deliveroo, InPost, Auto One, which are major ECM events at the time, and investors lost a huge amount of money on those deals. And and because of the way IPOs are. They tend to be very illiquid when they first list. So investors are still stuck in those positions on on, on deals which haven't delivered at all and have lost them a lot of money. I think, therefore, we're getting to this issue, which has always been the case, where you have a big valuation gap between sellers and buyers, but you still have the situation where sellers want to price their IPO as close to the value of their listed peers as they possibly can do. And a lot of that's because of you know their pride in their companies and the fact that they think they're just as good as their listed peers. But investors want money left on the table to be a real buffer against performance volatility. And they have a lot of history to point out with this performance volatility because of the money that they've lost. On IPOs. And the gap between these two positions now has widened to such an extent that I think a lot of the deals in the pipe possibly aren't, you know, probable or even possible.
0: And so I'm guessing a lot of those big institutional investors are just almost saying no before they've looked at the company, with the exception of, of some of those really well established names. We spoke obviously last year about Porsche, but those kind of really well known good businesses with, with a really good business case and strong financials, they're probably less likely to take a punt on something new, innovative and, and potentially more interesting.
1: That's exactly right. And and I think the, the issue you have to think, if, if you're a portfolio manager and you're trying to buy something in a particular asset class, often you have to sell your existing listed Exposure in, in in that asset class in order to make that new investment. So exactly to your point, why are you going to take a punt on something you have no proof of, no no trading history of, uh, uh, something where the numbers uh, are, and the valuation is dictated by forward numbers that you have to you know have faith in, when you can simply you know hold your money in something that's large and proven, uh, and you know unless you have a super differentiated offering like Porsche, which was you know a spectacular deal, I think you're going to struggle now now. now now Now, the sort of, I guess, exception to the rule here is that when you have things like Nucera and Hydroelectrica, which are very differentiated equity stories, you know, you don't get much exposure to hydrogen in listed equity markets. So, you have to take a punt on something like Nucera if you want to put money to work at size in that asset class. And we saw a huge investment by BNP Paribas Energy Transition Fund as a cornerstone in that IPO. And a lot of the money in that book was was through dedicated environmental funds who really wanted to invest in hydrogen and, and couldn't get that exposure anymore else. If you're not that differentiated offering, unfortunately, the only way you're going to really get a good deal done at the moment is to be super cheap. And that's a very hard message to sell to an issuer.
0: (laughs) And the issue of not having enough investors, that's going to be a a very difficult issue to solve over the long term. Is there anything that banks or sellers can be doing in the meantime to make the process more efficient?
1: yeah absolutely i mean the, the 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 investor issue is as i say that's that's a huge structural problem and, and you talk to bankers about old soul roadshows when they're like would have gone to visit 10 cities with each institutional money in the, in each of those cities dedicated to ipos and that just doesn't happen anymore there's just this tiny little group of institutional investors who seem to dictate the market but yeah there is stuff the sell side can do um you know I think what would massively help would be better communication between issuers and sellers about sorry issuers and banks about the realities of the market and investor sentiment. So the first thing that I would do is I would bring the syndicate team involved involved in selling the IPO into the pitching process and or at least get them involved with issuer relations very very early on because they're the guys at the coalface they're, they're they're the team who are going to sit there and talk to investors they know investor sentiment they know the amount of discounts they're demanding for IPOs. So if you get that message to an invest to an issuer Early on, I think the issuer has a chance to be a lot more pragmatic about, you know, taking that discount on board, um, you know, rather than say getting to the book build process and being hit with a valuation that they didn't, you know, think was was likely or even possible for their IPO. And you know, they've been thinking, say, of listing a company at, you know, a valuation of ten billion, and you know, the investors are only telling you it's worth six. And I think if you have that messaging far earlier on, it's a far easier process to bridge that gap and to get an issuer on board with the idea that they might have to be taking a discount. I think another thing that could be done, and, and, and this is something that people have spoken about anecdotally to me for a long time, is reducing sort of the syndicate sizes on some of these IPOs. At the moment, you have a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and I think that makes accountability really hard because you'll have a lot of messaging coming from a lot of different banks. And even if you don't want to reduce the syndicate size, I think Europe would do really well to adopt a sort of U.S. style lead left model, where you have a single bank which is doing most of the messaging and is communicating the market reaction back to the Issuer, because then you're just not going to get a situation where banks are trying to sort of one up each other, you know, by talking about, you know, say this bank is pitching you at too low a valuation and we reckon we could get done at this, you know, when they don't actually have that much skin in the game. And I think. If you could get to a sort of tighter, more lean model, I think Europe would be far the better for it. Uh, that would be the short term thing, and I guess in the long term, you, you know, we'd have to just get more investors involved. I mean, when you talk about the IPO market in general, and the and the list, look at say London's efforts to. Um, increase the amount of IPOs in the London Stock Exchange. I think a real game changer would just be incentivising pension funds to, to, to invest uh, in, in local listings. That would be something that would immediately change the, 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 the process and the prospects for IPOs.
0: I want to come on to the last question, but just quickly on that, um, how easy would that be to achieve? How, how can you incentivize pension funds?
1: Well, I mean, Jeremy Hunt's already put this thing, hasn't he, about private equity and, and sort of getting UK funds to 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 list. Sorry, to invest in in, in UK private equity rounds and to to, to put. I think it was a five or ten percent of their their capital into that. I think if you could, if some sort of tax advantages for investing in, in UK companies. Uh, you know, listing on the London Stock Exchange, I think that would be something that would be really useful. Um, again, this is sort of blue sky thinking, and I've not really done the, uh, the work with the government already that looked at the sort of any of the tax regimes. But certainly, if you could do something at, at that regulator level to incentivize pension funds to, to, to take a greater stake in UK IPOs, I think that would be hugely helpful. And and to build that investor base back to what it used to be, uh, that would be something that I think would be uh, would, would be something the government should consider.
0: Okay, so we're running out of time. Could you both give me things that we should be watching in the rest of 2023, starting with you, Cristiano?
2: Yes, surely issuers that were very serious about IPOs will now really consider private offers that they had, even if they're late in the process. We should watch situations like Golden Goose that's coming out of Permira and Dental Pro coming out of BC Partners. And Sam?
1: ESG, ESG, ESG.
0: Okay, nice, nicely put and very concise. Thank you both very much. That was Samuel Kerr and Cristiano Dallabona. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Dealcast, presented by Merger Market and SS and C Intralinks. Please rate, review, and follow the podcast. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or have a look for your merger market news alert. For more information, look at our show notes. Join us again next week.